Well, I hope your Bibles are open and you're, you're, you already know if you've been here regularly, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Is it 12? Is that it? Chapter 12? And uh, on verse 12 is where we're going to start. The name of the sermon is The Anatomy of the Church. And uh, the anatomy, that reminds me of something. Have I ever told you about my little toe on my left foot? <laughs> uh, my little toe, it's one of the smallest parts of my body. You'll understand this later. It's one of the smallest parts of my body, but it gives me the most trouble. And uh, it won't straighten out. Uh, and it hides under other toes. And it has growths that get on it. And I have a, a podiatrist by the name of Von Herbalis, Dr. Von Herbalis. He's a tremendous podiatrist. And I go to him regularly, and he takes a scalpel, and he keeps cutting parts off of my little toe. <laughs> yeah. but, but I treat my little toe with special care. As a matter of fact, I have to pay a lot more for shoes because I can't walk on my bare feet because of my little toe. If I come to your house and you're one of those that has, you have to leave your shoes at the door, I have to say, I, I can't really do that because it hurts so badly uh, to walk. And I've been at some of your houses where I won't say who he is. He's not here this morning anyhow. They said, well, it won't, it won't hurt us if it hurts you. And, uh, but at any rate, I have special shoes for my little toe. But a few weeks ago, I went to the doctor, to Von Herbalist, and Dr. Von Herbalist, and I was really in a lot of pain with my toe, and he gets a scalpel out, and he says, you know, I can take care of that little toe because it'll never straighten out. And I said, what would you do? And he said, well, it's just like an outpatient thing. You wouldn't even have to wear a boot. I can, I can operate on it, and I can uh, get rid of any point, get rid of this and this, and it won't come back again, or we could just sort of take the little toe out. And I said, no. <laughs> I give special honor to my little toe. I buy expensive shoes for my little toe. And uh, who knows, someday maybe it will straighten out, but I'm never going to give up on my little toe. Now, I know that that's your thinking, what's wrong with him today? I mean, <laughs> my goodness. But the, the word, the, the anatomy of the church. So I'm just thinking of anatomy, and Paul's thinking of anatomy, and you'll see that in a moment. So let's think about what the church is. The church is a group of people who believe in Jesus for their eternal salvation. The Bible actually calls us saints, even though we must admit some of us are not very saintly. The church, in other words, we are to gather for worship, like we just did in song, learning, which we're doing now, prayer, fellowship, and most importantly, one another service. Now, the book of Acts gives us a word picture of the beginning church. And I'm sure most of you have heard me talk about this very often. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, tells us about the early church right after Peter preached his first sermon. And then we have a, a, a word picture of the early church. And it starts off by saying they devoted themselves. Now, I've underlined the word devoted on purpose because that is a word that is to picture what we're like when it comes to our commitment to Jesus Christ and one another. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we're doing right now. To fellowship. You've been doing that, and some come earlier and stay later and fellowship together. Uh, to the tight, uh, to the breaking of bread. Uh, that means, first of all, just eating together, but also they did communion together and to prayer. And then it says this. Everyone. Now, who's everyone? Well, that's everyone in the early church, but it's also other people that are watching what's happening here in this new thing that's going on. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So Paul's writing this. He's an apostle during the apostolic times, and all the apostles at this point are together. And then it says, this is a little intimidating, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So now we're going through a time period. This isn't just like for two days. This has been going on for months, and they're doing this. And every day, they continued every day, and it would have been mostly at night, but there'd be other opportunities to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together. So that's a picture of communion and having a meal. We already did a sermon called Communion 101, and we looked at all of that. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, and I like this, and enjoying the favor of all the people. Who are all the people? Well, enjoying favor of, uh, of the church, but of the people in the community who were watching this and saying, look at these people. Like Jesus said in his prayer in John chapter 17, they can tell that we're for real if we love one another. And so they found favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I've read articles saying that many churches today are failing to reach the culture that we are living in. Now, normally, the solution seems to be to change the church service so people who are not Christians will be completely comfortable. But this misunderstands the purpose of the church meetings or the church service. And I sort of never really get tired of talking about this, but the church is in two parts. First part's the church gathered. That's what we're doing now. The church gathered is for Christians to learn and be discipled. Oh, non-believers are welcomed and can listen in and learn what salvation is all about. But then we have the church scattered. That's when we leave here and become a living picture of God's love for the world. Now, because non-believers were welcomed and expected in Corinth, Paul made it clear that our gathering must be in good order and be understood even by non-believers. When we get to chapter 14, where we're really talking about spiritual gifts in a deeper way, uh, we'll understand that and we'll see where Paul said that. But when we meet together as Christians, we are to be taught. We are to fellowship around our understanding of Christ. We are to pray And remember the sacrifice that procured our salvation by attending the communion services. So again, we must think about this biblically. The church gathered is to build up the saints, that's us, to do the work of the ministry. 
We are to do the work of the ministry. You don't hire ministers to do the work of the ministry. Uh, you do in a sense, but we all together are to do the work of the ministry. And then we have the church scattered. Is that church is to go out. We are to go out into the culture as believers in Jesus and take every opportunity to reach those we live among, work with, study with, and play with. Now, I'm not against having special services designed to attract on believers and present the gospel to them. We do that especially at Easter every year. But I think some churches have been transformed by the culture more than they have transformed the culture. That's not to be. Our church services should be an example to unbelievers of how a Christian worships and how devoted we are to one another and our Lord, who is Jesus. So in this passage, Paul gives us a somewhat humorous picture that he calls the body of Christ. So look in your Bibles at verse 12. This is unique, really, in the whole Bible, this is the way this was put together. Paul says, just as a body, that's our human body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. That's obvious. And then he says, so it is of Christ. He's talking about those who are committed to Jesus Christ. He's talking about the church. And then he even talks about how the church is born, so to speak. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. The word baptized, baptismal, means to be placed into. So when you become a Christian, and we've talked about this so often, uh, you're put into the church. You're now a member of the church, universal, and you should become a member of a local expression of that church. Some You should join a local expression of the church because we're all put into the church by the Spirit of God, and that forms one body. The church, even universal, is a picture of one body. Paul says. And it doesn't matter who we are, and you've heard this over and over again in the last few sermons. It doesn't matter where you were born or your ethnic background, Jews or Gentiles. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or what kind of job you have or don't have, slave or free. And then it says, and I think this is something we don't think about enough, we're all given the one spirit to drink. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. And when you think of drinking, we drink because we're thirsty. We drink because we want to quench our thirst. We all have the Holy Spirit to quench our spiritual thirst, to drink in the teaching of the Word of God and to drink in the character of God as He, the Holy, God the Holy Spirit works in us. And that we should be a unique group of people. As someone wrote this, church should be a place where people gather and get along with each other. Let me say that again. And get along with each other who have no merely human reason for doing so. And I know I, did, I've, I took a church course, a church growth course from a seminary in California, and it talked about how to target certain people. And the idea was you get all the, you target this group and get them into the church. And then, but it looked like it just was a body of one part. That's what it looked like. No, we're to have every kind of person. And people that come here should think, wow, look at all these people. And, oh, he's this and she's that. And, wow, not expecting us, all of us to be together and loving one another. So verse 14 reads, 
Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. He's talking about our human bodies. And in verse 15, he says, now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body, Paul says. And if a Christian should say, because I am very busy and not that important, I don't need to be part of the body, the church. Well, they would not for that reason stop being part of the body, the church. You are, I am, we are part of the church, either a useful part or a drag on the body. All of us are necessary in the body, every one of us. All of you this morning are needed in the local church, every one of you. Uh, You are indispensable, important, and essential. God put us together. Now, if I'm not an active part of the body, the church, then the body must make up what I was designed for, and that puts stress on the other parts of the body. So I can say, I am not part of the body, but I am part. And therefore, either helping the body to do better or dragging the body down. The New Testament recognizes no individual or Lone Ranger Christians who are not attached to a local fellowship. To be saved and uninvolved is possible, but very unhealthy for everyone. Now, if you've come to this church and notice it is missing certain hands or eyes or ears or feet, the solution is to say, since this body is lacking, I want to use my eye gift, my hand gift, my ear gift to help it become a better body. If every person here simply decided to forget about themselves and their needs and reached out to only one or two others in the body then this would quickly become known as the friendliest and most helpful church anywhere. So Paul goes on now. He's not finished with his uh, uh, rather even humorous uh, picture. He says, if the whole body were an eye, I mean, it's, it's worth thinking about for a moment. Imagine if all of us, all of you, everybody there, you're just an eye sitting in the chair. That's all. You're just looking out at a bunch of eyes. Ha, that would be something. If all of us were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, you can hear everything I'm saying, but that's all you can do. You can just hear. And you're not going to do anything else. Just hear, just hear, just hear. Where would the sense of smell be? Now, I like this one because... Uh, it, it, Now when I talk about smell, some of us, actually many of us, many of us know things about smell that we didn't know before. I've had COVID a couple of times, and both times I lost my sense of smell. And uh, I had never thought about that before. And uh, my wife even mentioned some things. I shouldn't tell you that, but she's not here in the service. But uh, she mentions that sometimes 
older people, she's looking at somebody, smell. And she doesn't like it. <laughs> when I had COVID, I never smelled anything bad. <laughs> and she said, that, Do you notice how often people quickly are moving away from you? <laughs> I, I know that's silly. But then we found out if you don't have the sense of smell when you eat, it's yuck. I mean, we didn't, I didn't even realize, I sort of knew, but I never really understood that if you don't have a sense of smell, you can't taste food. Wow, that's really something. So that little nose, and this is my second nose, I've had to have it all redone because it wasn't pretty enough. So I had a, a, a surgeon, after they dug out all of the bad parts in there, give me a new nose. And now I'm more appreciative of my nose than ever. Now look at verse 18. But in fact, it tells us, and this is really profound, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as they wanted them to be. Now, if you're coming on Wednesday night or watching online, and you should see the videos, they're very available, uh, and hear what Mike Hale is saying about uh, evolution and... Uh, and uh, uh, you know, creation and all that type of thing, and especially the stuff he does on the human cell. It's so amazing. I cannot even conceive of how anybody could know this stuff and not believe in God who designed the millions, maybe, I don't know, billions of cells in our bodies in the most amazing way. And God did that. And he put us all together in our human bodies. He made our human bodies. And he also put the church together. The church is his idea. And it should make us want to praise God just to imagine he's got a design and a plan. And we all should want to be part of the design and the plan. So each of us have been made exactly how God wants us to be. Our personality, our physical abilities... And, and we don't need to be a cheap copy of someone else. You are unique. Every one of us. We all fit together in a way for God, God's glory and for his plan for the ages. It's, it's incredible. And the church is the same. Each local expression of the church is unique. We are not trying to be like David Jeremiah's church or Chuck Swindoll's great church. We are entirely different than those churches, but all churches are part of the universal church, the body of Christ. So I mentioned this in a sermon a couple of times ago when Pastor Jim Simbola from New York City spoke at one of our Calvary Chapel conferences. He started the talk by shocking us all and saying rather strongly that to try to copy his church or any other church is simply a stupid move. No, we are a unique group of people that fit into the body of Christ uniquely also. We can all be ministered to by other teachers, that's okay, and, and YouTube presentations and church organizations, but it remains a great mistake to try and copy them. The question becomes, for us, this is why Paul is writing this, will I use my eye gift or ear gift or foot gift to help make this church what God has planned for us to be? Now, look at verse 19. They, if they were all one part, where would the body be? 
I mean, obviously useless. And as it is, there are many parts but one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. There must never be, never, an attitude of superiority in the church. No one is superior or better than another. If you really are more spiritual than others, then you'll become more of a servant and become more accepting of others. True spirituality makes someone less self-seeking, not more demanding. The truly spiritual person would never say, I don't need you. Now look at verse 22. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now some say that this is referring to the internal organs, some commentators. Could be. I mean, they seem to be weaker, uh, but try removing your stomach or heart and then see what happens. All of a sudden, the seeming weakness being taken away ends in disaster. And then the verse 23 says, in the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Modesty is a good word. We sort of talked about that. We need to think about how we present ourselves when we come to church, and I think we do a great job here, so don't have to talk about it at any length. But, it's, but it makes me think of something. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Well, our presentable parts need no special treatment. You see, my toe <laughs> has a special shoe that I pay extra for. And uh, because I'm hoping it'll straighten out someday, but I don't know if it ever will. <laughs> and so where other parts, you know, I'm a weightlifter, as you can tell, but we don't have to, <laughs> we don't have to cover up. <laughs> now, no doubt, some in the Corinthian church thought they were better than others. No doubt about that. And I think Paul is saying here that those who are being treated as unimportant should be given more notice. And those who are being lifted up should be aware of pride or thinking they are better than others. Better than others. Verse 24 still, here's why. Well, let me just say this. God cares for every part of the body. And we must do the same. That's why this really silly illustration of the toe. I go to the podiatrist regularly to take care of the toe that you can't see. And we're to treat other people who might be toes <laughs> that, aren't, that need, need to straighten out, but they won't straighten out unless we are willing to take care of them. And maybe we'll have to do some special things to help them straighten out. But God, verse 24 says, has put the body together. God did this, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body. No division. You're not cutting my toe off. This is my body, and it's staying. But that as parts should have equal concern for each other. I almost feel like stopping and just saying, just think about that. There should be no division 
in the body, in our church. But all of us should have equal concern for each other. And then great illustration, if verse 26, if one part suffers, then every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I mean, that's just the truth. But is this true of us? Do I respond with kindness toward the difficult? It's the fruit of the Spirit, kindness. Am I truly delighted when another church member does better in ministry than me? Do I get excited for someone who is having greater success than I could ever imagine? When I hear someone is sick or has lost a relative to cancer or some other disease or has been in an accident, does that drive me to prayer for them and practical help if I'm in a position to offer it? And notice carefully that these verses do not say, now listen carefully, they do not say, if one part suffers, every part should also suffer. If one part is honored, every part should also rejoice. That's not what it says. Paul is making a comment. If you're really the body, you will suffer. If you're really the body, you will rejoice. Uh, it, it'll just be part of how we are treating uh, one another. Paul says that this is the way it's supposed to be in the church at the local level. We must see ourselves as a complete body. We must so identify with those in our fellowship that anyone's joy or suffering becomes contagious throughout the whole body. So we all must be getting to know one another better as we pray together, as we worship together, as we eat together, as we counsel one another, as we become interested in each other. We don't all have to be teaching Sunday school, although some should, or helping with the handing out of bulletins, some should, to be one another people. We don't all have to be leading a small group or going on a mission trip, although everybody should go to a mission trip or be in a small group. And we don't need to clean the church uh, to be one another, but we must all be genuinely interested in each other, and we must all be reaching out to others in our fellowship in some way. Now, as you know, I've mentioned it often, I am asked often why we don't have such and such a ministry, and I try to find out enough about that person to determine whether they are the answer to the question that they're asking. We have several ministries that exist because someone in the church who came to the church saw a need and filled it, and the filling became wonderfully fruitful. The last time I taught this passage was many, many years ago. I actually skipped it the last time I went through 1 Corinthians and, uh, because I taught this kind of thing so often. And, uh, but the last time I really taught it in detail, someone came to me and asked why we didn't have home fellowships. And this resulted in several home fellowships, some that continue to this very day. So regardless of your age, regardless of your status, there are group meetings in our church here where you can meet others, fellowship together, and contribute. But recently, a couple came to the church who recognized that we needed help with their home fellowships, and they're sort of expert in this. 
And so they've been, uh, been faithful among us now for quite some time, and they've been meeting with a, a couple of pastors. And soon you will hear the results of their gifting in that area, and our home fellowships will go up a notch. There'll be more. They'll be better organized. All of those things. Because somebody came and decided to be part of the body, and they had a particular gift, and now they're going to use that gift to help all of us. We'll all benefit. I mean, I, I, th- I thought about this as I'm putting the passage together because I speak on this subject so often. And, uh, so, but, but I think of the men's ministry, for instance. Let's just go there first. Where men... Single, married, old, young, ears, eyes, hands, feet, all sorts of capabilities. Eat together, pray together, worship together, have shrimp and steak night together, and enjoy great teaching from several of the men. On Saturday, uh, yesterday, I was here with a group of men on the front porch as we prayed together. Wonderful time of prayer. Or the women's ministry. It's a tremendous blessing to women of every age. Single, married, widow, doesn't matter. Great teaching opportunities every week. Monthly events, special events, and profound conferences. If you're a woman of any age here, then you must go to this particular women's conference. Not only is the speaker great, but the women in our church are awesome. They're all meeting together of every age. And here's an opportunity, if you don't know them, to come to a conference that's going to be worth being and learning things and to meet all these women and to see how you can contribute. But they'll minister to you, you'll minister to them. That's the way this all works. So don't don't be in a hurry to leave any of the gatherings that we come to. Talk and listen to others and discover how your life experience can be of help as you are helped. We all need each other. Now, there are many ways to become interested in each other and to minister to each other, but we have to be proactive or simply nothing will happen. Now, look at verse 27 and 28. Verse 27. Now, Paul says, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. He says this over and over. Here's a problem I had putting this together. I thought, I say this so often. And then it was almost like God said to me, but it was me thinking, like, they're they're not going to like this because I say this all the time. But Paul writes it over and over again. Now, you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And and God has placed in the church, and he makes a list here, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing. Remember, he's back in the days of the apostles, uh, of gifts of helping, of guidance. You need somebody that can guide, especially a church body, and is a good administrator, and of different kinds of tongues. Now, we already talked about some of those gifts, and when we get to chapter 14, we'll talk about all of them in detail. But there are two immediate points here that Paul is making. First, Paul clearly is not just enumerating these things as one being more important than the other. That would contradict all he has taught so far. He is simply listing the opening three, especially in priority of what it takes to start a church. We must have, first of all, someone to start the church. In this case, in their case, at that day, at that time, uh, the apostles were starting churches. 
But we have missionaries that we send around the word. The word apostle means sent one. So we send missionaries around the world to places where maybe no one has ever gone before with the gospel. And then people have left this church and started other churches. So you have to have a charter, a starter, a church starter, and a church planter. You also need someone who sets out to establish the base. And then you need some prophetic ministry to help the growth of the church and it can make do good planning. And it's important that there are those who can teach the people so they will be built up to do the work of the ministry. And then all the other gifts, many more than those listed that we've already studied and that we will study in a couple of weeks, uh, many more than those listed uh, come into play. The second point Paul has is that no person has all the gifts. It's a body-life effort, not an individualistic only effort. And then he ends in verse 29 and 30 with uh, some questions that have an obvious answer. And uh, he asks, are all apostles? The answer to that is obvious. So let's, uh, let's at least do that part together. Maybe we'll remember it then. So, because this becomes important in chapter 14. So I'll, uh, I'll ask the question, you answer. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? So he's just making the point that we're all different and we have different gifts. And in fact, we talked about the snowflake thing last week. We're all like snowflakes. We look alike in some sense as a Christian, but we're all different in abilities and all different in how we fit in. Uh, we're different puzzle pieces. We're all in different shapes. And that's, I mean that in the most positive of way so that we fit together and help one another. And so those who are little toes in our midst might just get straightened out if they'll fit in. And it might change some of us who think we're straightened out, and we might bend a little bit to benefit that particular toe person. Uh, this is important for us to understand. And so, but all the gifts, all the gifts are needed so we can strengthen, encourage, and comfort one another. Now, I'm going to end in another... Uh, part of the Bible, Romans chapter 12. It'll be, I put it on the screen, but you can turn to it. Uh, just eight verses. And the reason I'm doing this is that I want to show you how Paul uses this picture over and over again through all of the writings of Paul. So Romans 12, 1 and 8, uh, some of you have heard me teach this many times. He says, therefore, Paul says, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you. Now, I always stop and talk about the word urge. He's an apostle, one of the, the best of the best, God-ordained. And he's saying, I urge you. It's a picture of the body of Christ. We're not a cult. We're a, uh, we're a volunteer, uh, voluntary people that do what God wants us to do because we want to please God. And so Paul says, he doesn't say, I demand that you do this. 
He says, I urge you. He's almost, you can almost feel him cry. I urge you, fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, we've received mercy, not justice. If we got justice, we'd all go to hell. We receive mercy so we can go to heaven even though we don't deserve it. And I urge you, he says, to offer your bodies, your physical bodies, as a living sacrifice. Now, we sort of understand that, but we don't understand it in the most visceral way that they understood it because they, all of the cults and uh, Judaism uh, did sacrifices, and they killed an animal and put the dead animal and the blood and everything on an altar and did all kinds of things with it uh, to please God in, the, in Judaism or the gods and the cults. So he's saying, I want you, Christian, because of what God has done for you, uh, to offer your bodies on an altar of sacrifice, but a living uh, sacrifice. Now, don't crawl off the altar. You get up on the altar and say, God, here I am. Do whatever you want with me. And, and he says that to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, that means set apart for God's purposes, and pleasing to God. That means we want to please God. And then he says, this is your true and proper worship. In other words, what he's saying is, this is the only thing that makes any sense because of God's mercy. And then Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, here's what he's really saying. He's really saying here, stop conforming to the pattern of this world because we are being conformed to the pattern of this world every place we go now more than I think any time in history because of media and everything from Facebook to Instagram and TikTok and all of these things, uh, news, uh, there's, no place you, there's no place you can turn to the news, for instance, and get just some news like today this happened, this happened, this happened. No, today this happened, it's this person's fault, and you go to the other channel, today this happened, it's that person's fault. And uh, we're all being conformed if we give in to all of the culture around us. And so he says, stop it. He doesn't say stop watching the news or stop knowing what's going on. Stop being conformed to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed, and that's the word metamorphosis, uh, where, you know, he's saying become a butterfly, you're just a caterpillar. And so uh, how do you get transformed? You get transformed by studying the Word of God. You get transformed by memorizing the Word of God. You get transformed by gathering together and listening to the teaching of the Word of God. You're transformed by obeying the Word of God and, and understanding the Word of God uh, so that we can do God's will. So stop being conformed to the pattern of this word and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That'll renew your mind, and then you'll have a different worldview. That's what Michael talks about at the beginning of every, every one of his evolution things that we're doing here in creation. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. And what is his will? <coughs> it's good. It's pleasing, and it's perfect, and it's all there in the Scriptures for us to read. For by the grace given me, Paul says... I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more higher than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Wow. I mean, sober judgment. Look in the mirror. Have somebody else describe yourself to you, <laughs> your wife. I know it'll hurt. 
but sober judgment. Be so conformed in the body of Christ that people will feel comfortable in saying, you know, uh, I had somebody make an appointment with me recently and a lot younger than me, and he seemed to be quite nervous. And I'd said some things in sermons that he thought there was a better way I could say it. And he was right. You know, I, but you know what? We both, he was nervous, and I sort of, my back was a little bit stiff. But when it was all over, I was so thankful that he came and had the courage to sit in my office and say, you said this, and here's the way certain types of people are hearing it, types of people that I don't really, I'm not around. And that person is. And so it changed my thinking in how I'm going to communicate. It didn't change the truth. I, there was no argument about that what I said was what the Bible says. But there's, uh, but if there's nobody, if you think that you're so great uh, and good at what you do that nobody can tell you, especially somebody that doesn't do what you do, uh, can be of help, then you're really in trouble. And that's why he says uh, you ought to, don't think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each one of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, see that illustration? And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Now, for us Americans, we don't like that. I don't belong to anybody. No, no, we do. We belong to one another. We belong to one another. Really? Yes. We belong to one another. And, and we have different gifts according to the grace God has given to each of us. And therefore, he says, basically, the rest of what we're going to look at here is use your gift. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Wow. I mean, that is incredible. Uh, that's what the early church actually was like at the beginning. And then that's why we have all of these letters, because uh, we're still sinners, and we tend to devolve a little bit, and we need to be shaken up once in a while. That's why we gather together. Now, it could not be clearer. We must find our place in the body of Christ. It is top priority, our number one prayer. Very important, top priority. And when we do, the whole body prospers, and we all become equipped to walk away from our church gatherings and small groups to impact the culture we live in by communicating the good news about Jesus the only Savior of the world, and we do it by living for him. And it's very significant that the next word in the Romans passage is the word love, that agape love of God. And the next word in our Corinthian passage that we're finishing today is love. Not just the next word, but the whole next chapter is about love. So starting next week, we'll learn about love and gifts. Without love, gifts have no usefulness at all. Actually, without unconditional love, Christianity collapses on itself. 
Love caused the Father to send the Son to die for our sins so that we can spend eternity in heaven. Love caused the Son, Jesus, to go to the cross and take our sins so that we can now have a relationship with him and the Father through the filling, the controlling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And finally... Love is the motive for service in the church. Love is the reason we gather and the reason we serve and the reason others will want to know about the hope that is within us. So, here's our church. I think it's supposed to come up. The picture? There it is. There's our church. So become part of our body. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much uh, for this uh, sometimes humorous but very profound picture that Paul paints of our human bodies and then the body of Christ. And Father, I pray that we will all see with joy the meaning of what this is all about. It's not a a recruiting thing to try to recruit us to go into the armed forces or something, and, and, but it's instead it's a, an offer of love for us to come together and love one another so that we can show that love to the whole world. It's something that is to cause us all joy and to help us to truly be one another people who are interdependent and no longer just trying to live life by ourselves. Help us to do that. And I pray, Father, if anybody is watching or if anybody is online or if somebody is here and they don't yet know the Lord Jesus, we have to just admit we're sinners, that we're not perfect. That's kind of obvious. We can look around the world today and see that. And then we admit that we need a Savior. And Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the one with the keys to, uh, to uh, heaven and hell. <laughs> and if you want to go to heaven, his key is to love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength because he died for your sins and to ask forgiveness and he will fill you with the Holy Spirit and you will change. Don't try to change yourself, you will change. You just simply pray, dear dear Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I know I'm a sinner and I need help. Please come into my life and change me. And if you'll become part of the local church, you'll really change. And you'll be glad you did. And you'll be filled with joy in Jesus' name.